Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology, how families are formed in different ways, and um, how everyone's okay, <laughs> just like that. Right? No, uh, we've had some really good episodes of um, different different families and what we think of as traditional, and really have had a fun chance to explore different different aspects of assisted reproductive technology and different forms of families. Um, speaking of family, so you know, yes. Jen and I co-host our sisters, Jen. Thanks for being a great sister. Sometimes. You too. Oh, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) No, you've been pretty, you've been pretty good. I definitely remember like college and like needing my wisdom teeth taken out and calling you and been like, what do I do? I don't know how to, what's insurance? Ah." Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, speaking of family, uh, so our grandmother is turning 90 soon, which we Yay. are so fortunate to still have her and she's so fantastic. Um, Jen, question yes. of the day. Uh, what's a, like your most distinct special memory with grandma or a special lesson from grandma? Oh, wow. So I think, I mean, I, as I'm sure I've probably you know disclosed to people, I'm a military spouse and I have been for about 20 years. And uh, our grandmother, so our grandfather was also in the military for 30 years. And when um, Ryan decided to join the military, she sat with me a lot and we talked through a lot of how that life was going to be and what was actually important and what wasn't. And it was really helpful for me and just in a way of, you know, life is fine. It doesn't matter how many times you move. You you keep the things that are most important to you to you, which is your family, and you know the, those treasured memories with them. And the rest, it it doesn't matter if your furniture doesn't make it or if the world is falling apart around you. You know, you you still have those you love around you, and you keep those relationships special and close. And I I've always kept that with me, and I've tried to use it to establish a sense of calm, shall we say, especially in some pretty chaotic and stressful situations. I'm not always successful, but you know, it's, I always try to channel, channel my grandmother when we're dealing with stressful situations with moves and things like that. And just generally in life, because she's a pretty calm and, and chill person. What about you, Ellen? Um, uh, I don't know about lesson, but, uh, just like being totally obsessed with grandma being like the most wonderful, kind, amazing person in the world. <laughs> like and when we, exactly. go, when we would go, I mean, I feel like a lot of people probably feel like that way about their grandmother, but you know, our grandmother is actually the nicest, yes. kindest, most, yeah. Um, but when we would go and visit her when I was little, um, I remember I would like get up early and I would just like sit outside her door waiting, waiting for Wait, her to wake, up. <laughs> to wake up to play with me like a crazed stalker Aww. like which probably um you know it's a little intense but she she has commented about it more recently about how um she really treasured that that she thought that was very special and nice so that's good oh uh, that's wonderful yeah. yeah she's also like the greatest cook in the world and always had something like a sweet treat for us I mean I that I definitely <laughs> Like she'd have like a freezer full of them ready for us. Like, so if we ate through all of them, she'd be like, that's okay. There's a plate more. (laughs) But speaking of family, well, so happy birthday, grandma. We love you. Yeah, happy Um, birthday, grandma. We do love you. Yeah. But speaking of families and different ways they're formed, we um, have a special guest to talk about embryo donation, which is becoming a much more... um, 
learned, known now. I mean, I feel like it was kind of unknown before, and now people are starting to realize that this is another option to form their failing. So um, here we are with Deb Roberts. We are here today with Deb Roberts to talk about the brave new world of the brave new world. I mean, I feel like assisted reproductive technology itself of egg donation, sperm donation, surrogacy is kind of this new frontier. And then embryo donation is like the new frontier of the new frontier that people are (laughs) realizing is a whole other option to building families. But Deb, we're so thankful to have you to share your own personal story as well as how you've become an expert in this field. So welcome, Deb. Do you want to... Give a little bit, a little bit of a background of kind of uh, who you are, where you grew up, what you did before you jumped into this world. Yes. Do you like long walks on the beach? <laughs> right. Pina coladas? Yeah. Oh, wait. No, actually, I don't like any of those things, which is really interesting. I love, I, <laughs> I love to hike and ski and swim and bike, and I love all kinds of outdoorsy things. And pina coladas just aren't my favorite. So, yeah. What's your favorite? Right. So that's actually... Should it be like whiskey or something, right? For Colorado? I don't know. Wait. Yes. Dr- what is, <laughs> the, what is the favorite beer. thing in Colorado? Craft yeah. beer. Craft it's got to be craft beer. Yes. I, right. I, I actually, I love, I love a nice wine, which actually, I think this is a really good segue into who I am, which is single. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a single mom. <laughs> and so maybe if I liked pina coladas, I'd be in, I'd be in a different place right now. So um, I actually, that, that's... A lot of my story is that I I was um, I have an MBA I, I I went to graduate school I had a very high powered professional career that kept me away from really focusing on relationships because my career was really important to me and I um, I found myself at around forty saying uh oh what happened and I knew that I always wanted to be a mom so I. Um, I started looking at options, which frankly, I'd been looking at options even as young as when I was 21, I was dating a guy and we'd said like at 35, if I'm still single, that he would be my sperm donor. Like we had decided that at 21. So yeah, yeah. So I totally knew that I wanted to be a mom. I just wasn't ready at 21. Um, So so that's... What happened at 35? Yeah, that's actually Did a really go good question. At 35, I was, I was in a city that I didn't want to live in permanently. And so I said, I really have to get my life where it needs to be. So that, that's really what happened. I think um, I might have even been dating somebody at the time that was not... Did he reach out and offer was like, Hey, remember 15 years ago I offered oh, yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. We're actually still, really? we're still in touch and it's really crazy because, ah. um, spoiler alert, I now have a child and who's, who's in a, a toddler and he is going to soon be a grandfather. So it's, oh, wow. it's this crazy oh, wow. dynamic of, okay, yeah, our lives didn't actually, I, I, they didn't ever wow. reconnect, but, um, but yeah, we did talk when I was in my late 30s and it just, it wasn't ever something that was really serious even when we were talking in my late 30s because I thought I was so young. So I didn't, I didn't really mm-hmm. think about it. So yeah. yeah. And then I, I put myself where I wanted to live, which was Colorado. And then I had to get myself settled. Great state. And mm-hmm. then I needed to have a long-term relationship that ended for me to say, <clears throat> okay, now it's actually time uh. for me to do this. I feel like it's such a common story about, you know, you want to have a family, but all these other things you want to come into, to, 
to click into place first, the career and the relationship and where you're living and the house or whatever it is that you, you wait. Right. right. And that was the thing. I always, I always joked, but not really joking to people who would say, do you have kids yet? And I would say, no, I want to do it in order. I want to, I need to, I need to find my partner before I can have kids. And that was always in my head. That has to be the order. And it turns out that doesn't have to be the order. So yeah, that was, that was my big life moment around 41 that I said I, at 40. So that's when you, that's when you just, did something happen or was there just this moment where you're like, nope, I'm not, I'm not waiting for that. I'm going to do this. On yeah. My own. I was actually dating a guy who had three kids whom I still love. They're fabulous kids. And they were, they were already older, meaning that the youngest was seven when we started dating. So at that point, when we, when it came to a head and said, okay, this is real, we're serious. And I want to have children. And he said, I can't have more children. I just don't know how I can fit that into my life. That was the turning point because I said, gosh, I'm in this fabulous relationship and I can't, that that's a deal breaker. And that was my moment. I was like, that's you're not right. fulfilling one part of your wow. best right. I was like, So you broke up to go have yes, children on your own. Yes. I actually, we were, we were still dating when I said, I'm going to go freeze my eggs and and that was, that was a crazy moment because I was like, why am I freezing my eggs at 41? And I talked to a, my, my best friend actually has a fertility doc cousin who's pretty, <laughs> um, pretty well-renowned in Canada. And we were at her uh-huh. daughter's bat mitzvah or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but he was there. And I said, I'm freezing uh-huh. my eggs. I'm about to freeze my eggs in a couple months. And he said, how old are you? get on it. Like, oh. how, like, how old do you think you are going to be when you have children? So it was, it was just a really, it was one of those moments where fertility doctors can be very um, straightforward when they want to be. Like too straightforward. So, yeah. He was, he was very straightforward and I think it was very helpful for me. So you froze your eggs. You went through that. I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I, oh, but, because I was having, I mean, I did eventually, I did, I did many, many things in my fertility journey, but the, I was about to freeze my eggs and I told him I'm starting my cycle and it's going to be in a couple of months and I've got this all arranged. And he said, don't freeze your eggs, just get them fertilized and have a child. You you can't, you Mm. can't wait any longer. You're 41. So um, what I didn't know at the time was that freezing eggs is actually a lower success rate and lower probability of success than, than fertilizing them and then freezing them as blasts because blasts are just more hardy. And so they survive the the freeze better, which I didn't, I didn't understand. And that, well, that, that used to be really true. And that's why, so I guess different doctor, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm just a lawyer, but there used to be all these cases where like a woman would get cancer and she would they would, the doctor would be like, no, you need to freeze embryo right. so that you can preserve yes. your fertility. So she would go out and find her boyfriend or someone to, to fertilize. And then later he would change his mind. And there's these right. two, like, like most cases out there where people are fighting over embryos, they say, no, you can't, if someone objects, right. you can't use them. But the two times were that situation where they said, this is her only chance of a biological child. But they say it's gotten better yes. for eggs. It has, but maybe it's it still has not gotten equivalent better, but it's not equivalent. I mean, you can just, 
think about the science. You're freezing, a, you know, one cell or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know science very well versus a lot of cells and a lot of cells will freeze better because they're bigger. So, yeah. And, and I guess as part of my okay, journey, so- I discovered that because I, I started with, with blasts. And yeah. I, so I created, I found, I found my sperm donor. I worked very hard on sp- finding my sperm do- donor. Um, lots of research and is this the right one? And did he make babies already? And yeah. I really, <laughs> this was a really big deal, finding my perfect sperm donor. And I was sure that this guy was the one, he was ideal. And I was like, this is great. It's so much better than dating because I never actually have to meet him. He can be this perfect guy. <laughs> and and I don't I don't have to figure out the relationship piece. Um so that that um actually resulted in two embryos. Um and I think one of them turned out to be chromosomally abnormal. So I only had one that was viable. And I actually I actually produced a ton of eggs. So I was never diagnosed with PCOS, but as a 41-year-old, I produced more eggs than a 20-year-old does. So I, I make... Oh, wow. Uh, so your first egg retrieval, how many how many eggs were we talking about? 65. Wow! <laughs> yes. What? Wait, so from six, but 65 eggs, you only got two embryos? Right, and one of them was normal. Yeah. So I shouldn't say that. I think, I mean, I'm not even sure if that math, like I had, a, I had many embryos and then I think that was, what I wound up with like nine embryos and then. Yeah. They didn't develop. And then, or... well, no, nine, nine embryos had developed and then maybe seven of them were abnormal. And then one of them was oh. low quality. And so it wound up that there was really only one viable embryo. So, wow. Yeah. So in that whole thing, I wound up with with one. Um, or no, I wound up with two. That's what it was. I did wind up with two because I was I was really excited. I was like, okay, great. Now I, I can have my siblings. Like this is perfect. But you weren't like I can have sixty five children, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and when I when I had sixty five eggs, like I had so many follicles. Like they kept looking at me. They were like, holy cow! And they're all developing and they're all doing great. And, wow. and I was sure I was. I was done. My, I was one and done. I was going to do my one round of IVF. I was going to have my children and, and I'd be, I'd be a mom by 40, 41 and a half. Like that was my, that was my plan. It was going to be that fast. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't so. So yeah. So it, it turns out that I also had some other things going on with me and, and I just, I, those embryos didn't take. But even before I tried to transfer those, I think I decided that I was also going to freeze eggs because, and I, you know, this, this timeline gets really confused in my head because there were so many steps. But I think, oh no, I transferred one and then that, that one was a miscarriage. And then I had one left and I said, gosh, I don't want to just have one left. I want to have siblings. And on top of that, if I meet somebody, I want to be able to use his sperm. So then I did freeze my eggs. So before I, before I transferred the second one, I went through another retrieval cycle and, and got another 65, whatever it was. So well, how many eggs did you, did you freeze? I think they wound up freezing 38. That feels about right. It was between 30, wow. 35 and 40. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So what happened? So then I have this one, I have this one embryo left that's lower quality and, um, I transfer that one and it doesn't even take. So now I'm left with zero and I've got these embryos, I mean, these eggs frozen. So I say, okay, well, I'll, I'll fertilize those. At, at least I have those. And there, there was something, I don't know what happened, but I get this call when they're ready to fertilize and they say, we don't know what's going on. All of your eggs are, they're not surviving the thaw. They're just, they're shriveling up and dying. We've gone through half of them already and we've changed embryologists. We've done, we don't know what to do. They're just all. Of 38, of all of the, like this huge number. Right. So, so they wound up with some small number relative to, relative to 38. They wound up with a small number. It was something like, you know, 20 that survived or 18. It was, it was about half that wound up surviving. And, um, and they, they fertilized those and turned them into blasts. And, and again, none of them, in this case, none of them were normal. So, Oh, 38, none of them. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So now I'm, I'm back at zero. And, and so I, I don't, it's funny because I don't even remember the course of events, but I remember that I was getting ready to try again. And at that point I changed doctors within the same clinic and she had, so first of all, the first thing she said to me is, why are you not on the embryo donor list? And I said, I didn't Uh, know there was an embryo donor list. (laughs) What, what is that? And how do I get on it? And I, I absolutely, at this point, I'm, I'm really desperate because I'm getting older and I didn't realize that this was going to be a challenge for me. So, and at this point, a couple of years had gone by because I also had fibroids in my uterus that had to be removed and, you know, various things that were just, everything was, you know, like, oh, this will just be a few months. This will just be four months. Oh, we have to prep you. That'll be another few months. Right. So everything was, it turned out to be two years. And at this point, she says, I'll put you on the list. And the, the list is a year long. So in a year, we'll get back to you with some embryos. And we don't know that that's wow. really a year. That's, that's our guess right now, because it all depends on when donors come forward. So, wow. so I said, great, well, will I get to choose? And they said, not, you, you'll, we'll tell you what's available at the time. And you can either accept those, or we can put you on the list and wait till something that is more viable for you that you like better. So I say, okay, well, put me on the list and I'm not waiting a year. As long as I'm waiting a year, let's do another round. Let's just do this. So, so she does, this is now my, my new doc. She does another round. Only this time she puts me on, on medications for PCOS because she says, you probably have it. You don't have any of the, you don't have any other symptoms except that you're producing a million embryos. I mean, a million eggs. So so let's, let's produce oh, less. Is that, a, is that a symptom of PCOS? Is that part of that? Yes. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. So PC, um, those with PCOS produce more eggs. Um, it doesn't mean that they're high quality eggs, but they produce more eggs. So her thought was let's produce a lot less eggs and maybe those will be more um, hardy eggs. And so you'll, you'll have higher quality eggs and that will be better. So in she, 
she put me on these drugs and then lowered my, my stimulation and I produced 12 eggs and I was devastated because at this point I know what the, the chromosomally normal. You knew the numbers game. Right. I knew that. And I was like, this is terrible. I'm, I'm just devastated that we just went through this round. And sure enough, I wound up with zero out of that round. So I don't even know that anything turned into a blast on that one. So, yeah, so it was, now I've gone through three rounds of IVF and frankly, the most expensive fertility clinic in the country. And I have spent more money than I know what to do with. I, every time I did another round of IVF, I said, there's another Lexus. There goes another Lexus. Oh. Like, I, <laughs> and I, 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 drive, I drive a very inexpensive Toyota. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I was just devastated. I was like, okay. And, and there goes all my childcare because I'm a single mom, right? So I'm thinking that all that money was supposed to go towards childcare. Now, now what am I going to do? So, um, so there I was finally get to the end of the, I'm sorry, I'm telling you this really long story, but, um, no, it's it's wonderful. So I get to the, I finally, I'm calling this donor woman. She, she's probably so sick of me. I'm calling her like every four days. Like how, how am I doing on the list? Where am I now? It's like, what's the status? This is like, is someone at the clinic who manages the, the yes. list? Is that who? Right. It, yes, oh, it's the wow. it's the donor it's the donor nurse. I, I, I do not envy saying? the donor nurse. Your your fifty seventh or what? Yes. What she yeah, yeah. I mean, she would she would go through the list and she'd be like, "You're number twelve on the list," but oh, okay. um, but if you, I mean, that was when I was calling her in say September at this time, but um, but she says, you know, some people are looking for an Asian embryo. And so they're, they're ahead of you, but they're not going to, they're not going to take an embryo from you because they want something different. So there's some people have really specific requirements. And so you, you may be coming up soon, but it all depends on when donors respond and give us the information that they need and yada, yada. So I say, okay, um, I'll, I'll wait it out because it's, it's coming due. Like I'm almost at a year. So I feel like this is my next step. So I get, she comes to me with these embryos who are, um, from a physical standpoint, because that's really all they share with you in, in these clinic programs is physical characteristics. So she shares the physical characteristics and, and she says, oh my gosh, they make such beautiful babies. You're, this is, this is great for you. And I say, you know what, that does actually look good. And I'm, I'm ready to go. And at this point, I'm not caring about anything else. Like there's no, there's no, um, personality characteristics or anything about these, these embryos that I care about. I really just want a baby. So I say, okay, great. They've got brown curly hair and light eyes, just like me. Let's do it. So, um, I, I am the fourth family on this list to receive donor embryos from this donor. So they've already gone through a lot of the higher quality embryos but these were still pretty high quality and they transferred and I had a, and it, they took, and I had a chemical. So uh, did they transfer had, more than one? They transferred two. And because I'd been pregnant before, I knew the numbers really well. And I, I had definitely two took. 
So I could tell from the numbers, they just skyrocketed. So, and then on the 10th day. You've been pregnant before. When was that? Sorry, we missed that in the story. I had had a miscarriage earlier. Yeah, the first pregnancy pregnancy was a miscarriage. And and the second one might have been a chemical too. I don't remember. But um, so, but the first one was a miscarriage at six weeks. Um, So I knew how the numbers worked. And I'd also done enough research to say, the way my numbers were going, the, there were two that worked. Um, and on the 10th day, they, they started declining rapidly. So, so I knew that I had a chemical. And it was, it was just, it, it was the worst feeling on earth. Outside of the miscarriage, that was pretty bad too. So, <clears throat> so which is... Hard to say because going through an, a retrieval cycle and getting zero embryos is also the worst feeling on earth. So there were, at this point, I was, I was beside myself because I didn't, I didn't know what, like what was wrong with me. I, I really, I knew that it, at that point it had to be me because those were perfectly viable embryos that had made pregnancies before and it was a chemical for me. So and there were two that didn't work. So I, I then, I, I, I went to, so at this point, my doctor was leaving the practice. So I had to go to a different doctor. So this is now my third doctor within the practice. And I, I went to her after my failure, we set up a post visit, you know, they have those consultations post visit. And I walk in the office and I say, I need to know what's wrong with me. And she says, well, I don't know. Sometimes they fail. Do you want to try again? <laughs> I was, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, no, I want to know what's wrong with me. I, I need to understand oh. this. So, right. so um, that, that conversation didn't go very well. Um, and then, so I wound up actually leaving that clinic because I really needed to find out what was wrong with me. I needed to go to a clinic that would, that was able to assess my physiology and not just the quality of the embryos, um, which is what I was finding. So I went to another doctor who did a histosonogram and said, you have Asherman's, which is a, um, it's a uterine disorder, which means my uterus adheres to itself when it scars. So like it scars and adheres to itself after a procedure of the uterus. So, um, apparently when I had my fibroids removed or at some point in my life, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to guess when my fibroids got removed, my uterus adhered to itself. So oh. it couldn't actually accept, it couldn't, it couldn't grow embryos into babies. There just wasn't op- an option for my uterus. So, so that was really eye opening. That was about after three years of fertility. So and he quickly did surgery. It was amazing. Like he discovered it and and said, let's do the surgery. And I said, we need to do this right away because I can't wait any longer because it, of course you need healing after uterine surgery. So yeah. he said, great, let's do it next Friday. How does that sound for you? So Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you mean, you mean like, like this in Friday? seven days, right? <laughs> so yeah, sure enough. I, wow. I did, I did surgery in seven days and it does it. Then he made me heal for six months. 
And um, during that time, I, I really had to come to terms with what my options were and I was exploring everything. So at this point, I'm now looking at traditional adoption and, and um, embryo adoption because now I know that that's an option. And um, I'm looking for a surrogate because I'm thinking now that I've learned about Asherman's, even after surgery, there's only a 30% chance of success. So oh, wow. I now say, well, I could, I could do another, I could do, I could use an egg donor, sperm donor and spend an enormous amount of money and not be able to carry it. So that's no good to me. So all of, I had all of these things that were going through my head. It was just this, just this spiral of what ifs, like what, what's the best alternative for me? And so I did try, I did try to do traditional adoption and I went, I tried to go through an agency. I tried to do it independently and I, I found a lot of roadblocks in that. So, um, were you ever matched a a birth mom or how far did that go? So I, um, I got to, I, with a traditional, with doing the agency route, they basically said, because you're single and over 40, you're going to be pretty low on the list. And so it might be really hard and you'll wind up with kids who have, you know, had, you know, dr- drugs in utero and who, who knows what you'll get, but we'll put you on the list if you, if you want to be on the list. <laughs> and I said, wow. okay, that, okay, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound really good. Like, That's not very reassuring. Right. Yes, yeah. Thank you. And they said the waiting list is about two years for, for your situation. And I said, okay, I don't, I don't have two years. Everyone keeps talking to me about all these years and I'm now in my like early forties. So, so then I tried to do it by myself and I found this lawyer who um, wasn't very helpful, frankly, and I was doing it on my own. So I did find somebody and we were supposed to meet and I even bought a gift for her three-year-old son who was with her. And I went to the meeting place and she tells me she can't meet. And so, so I, I said, oh, okay, well, we had had all these conversations and it felt like it was going in the right direction. I don't know what, what went wrong. And she had just moved to Colorado from New Mexico and realized it was really expensive to live in Colorado. And so I, I think she, she moved back to New Mexico or something. So you, you were at the meeting place when she like texted you or called you and said, I'm not coming. Is I, that- I called her and said, are you coming? And she says, I can't come because my, it's cold outside and my son doesn't have a jacket. And, and yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. I, can I pick you up? And she says, no, we have to, she had to go get a car, a rental car. And so she had to go do that. And so she couldn't meet. And then our next conversation was I've moved. I'm no longer in Colorado. So, well, not to not, have you seen private life? I haven't. So there's a Netflix movie where this couple is suffering from infertility and one of it is they, they try to go through adoption and they go to the meeting place. And well, I guess, so one of them is like this woman was just like catfishing them or like never showed up yes. and they traveled. And even the ending, not to ruin it for anyone who sees it is like them being picked or possibly going to meet for an adoption. And they're sitting at the cafe waiting 
and you never, you don't oh. know if she shows up or ugh, like that's, <laughs> that's the end to, ru- to ruin it for everyone. I'm right. sorry. That's great. I can tell All you right. how that ended for me. I drove home and I still have that present wrapped in my basement. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. That's the end of my story. So I created my adoption book, right? I have this wonderful book that talks about my family and, and how I'm going to be a great mom because you have to have adoption books that you give to people, right? And so I still have those too. Yeah. So, so that didn't go anywhere. Um, So now here I am. I don't, I have my uterus fixed. I don't know if I can carry. Um, I did one of my friends, I was talking to one of my friends and she says, well, I'll be your surrogate. And, and I was like, you, Great. Okay. you will. <laughs> and so here I am sitting in this, we, we had just gone out for dinner at a restaurant and now I'm crying at this restaurant. Like you're going to be my surrogate. That's amazing. Oh. I can't believe it. And I, I'm not, I, I'm not ready for you yet, but when I am, I, I'm so, I'm so grateful. Like, even if it doesn't happen, I'm grateful that you even offered. Yeah. And so now I say, okay, well, I've, I've potentially got a surrogate. That's fabulous. So now I say, but I can't get embryos because the wait lists are, are two, at least, you know, one to three crazy. years. They're crazy long. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's where I was. And I said, you know what? I'm actually much bolder than I give myself credit for. And I went on Facebook and that was, that was my life-changing event. So I had not been telling people that I'd been going through all this. Most people didn't know why I was the meanest person on earth. Why I was, (laughs) (laughs) I I went from being really happy-go-lucky and fun and nice to, I can't go out with you. I can't go to that party. I can't, like, I was just. I, like, yeah. no, I have no vacations because nobody knew how much money I was spending. So they were like, are right. you going on a, a vacation soon? Because right. I used to go on vacations every year. And I was like, nope, yeah. not going on vacation this year. <laughs> right. So, right. so I finally decided it was time. And I, I posted on Facebook as a life event that I was looking for leftover embryos or an unwanted pregnancy. If anybody knew of one, let me know. And also, don't just like this, but repost it. I need you to repost. There's a button that says repost. Do that. And so it was really explicit. (laughs) And I said, I need you to repost this. And people sent it to their friends. That's exactly what they did. And it was amazing, the, the outpouring of support. So... I had people say, I don't have embryos, but I'm going to try to find out a way to help you. And other people said, I'm in the process of IVF and I might have leftover embryos, but I'm willing to give you while I'm going through IVF. I was like, no, you're not. You're not giving me your embryos while you're going through IVF. Um, and, And I had some people whom I didn't know at all say, my friend posted this to me and I have leftover embryos. And... Sorry, that's the emotional part. <laughs> oh, I I just had I got chills actually when you just said that too. So oh, wow. Yeah. So it was it was really amazing because these people that literally 
there's there's people I'm still friends with because there's the, <laughs> they had embryos that I actually wound up not using because I had multiple people come to me with embryos. So I actually at that point got to choose which embryos I wanted to use. And so that's amazing. Yeah, and so now I'm sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, like how many how many people have embryos in storage that they don't know what to do with?" <laughs> and and so I I actually I I talked to several families and I I actually had contracts like legal contracts. You know this Ellen because I was using you. So <laughs> I I used I used several several embryo families. I was going through the process of saying, "Okay, let's let's do this." Um and it was it was amazing to me the support that people had. They were like anybody who has leftover embryos. First of all, they've gone through IVF and if you've gone through IVF, you know the pain and everybody feels it. And they, 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 they want to help. They want to help people who have gone through it. So, so that's, that's how I got to where I am. I mean, it, it's crazy, but um, there's a, a, a long story after that, which includes um, my, my friend backing out and not wanting to be a surrogate oh. after all. But uh, yeah, because I was, I was going oh. through, I was, this was, you know, after I, a couple of transfers after that, I was like, okay, I'm doing this one last time. And if it doesn't work, you're it's, my you're last up. resort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. You are up. Right. And she said, I'm not up. I can't do it. Oh, oh and no. yeah. And I was, this was my last transfer. And I remember, I know the date, obviously it was December 13th. And I was like, okay, it's, it's, this, like this or nothing, because I, I can't, after all of this, there's no money left for a surrogate. Like I just, I can't do it. And it, as it turns out, it, it took my, apparently my surgery worked and, and I, I am now a proud mom of an 18 month old who is fabulous. Wow. Yes. Oh my So, it's amazing. So yeah, yeah, it's, how was Crazy. the pregnancy after all that? Was it was it rough? Were you in fear <laughs> the whole time? You, I was. I was totally did you enjoy in fear. it. Yeah. No. So this is. I did enjoy it a lot. It was. It was amazing, and it was so hard in the first trimester. My my nurse, my fertility nurse, actually told me recently that she still has PTSD from my first trimester. <laughs> that it was. <laughs> it was. It was pretty traumatic because I kept bleeding. So I didn't know why why I was bleeding. And so every time I bled, I would call her and be like, uh, something's going wrong. Like, or or I would say, I'm not feeling nauseous anymore. I know something's wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) like, I feel too good. I did did. because when I had my miscarriage, I I knew because I wasn't feeling bad anymore. So I actually knew oh. before I went into the doc, before I got, oh. I went in for the ultrasound. I was just going in for my standard six-week ultrasound. And I said, I started feeling good two days ago. So oh, no. I, like I have, I had this fear that, mm-hmm. that I knew that yeah. something was wrong. So yeah. So I'd like, I'd be like, I could eat salad today. Something's wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, but it, it turns out that, there was nothing wrong that I just had, I just had some, whatever that's called, where you have blood like around the lining of your uterus that it's just 
said Corianna. There we go. Yes, I had that. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, I had that multiple times. Jen has has to bring those up frequently in our podcast. She's like this. I I, I was going to say, I get get the same thing from everybody. They're like, that thing thing. where there's blood. I'm like, yeah, it was kind of like a blood blister in your uterus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I had. I had blood blisters in my uterus. And they would come every 10 days or so. So just long enough where I would finally start to feel good again. I feel comfortable. And then it would happen again. And then after, there was one time I was in New York when it happened. And I called just to let them know. I was like, this happened and I don't know what to do. I'm in New York. They were like, you could go to the ER and get it checked. Um, And I was like, you know what? Let's just wait this one out. (laughs) I had gotten so comfortable with them that I was like, we'll just see where this one goes. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was. So you got to the first trimester. Yeah. And then smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. It was fabulous. I, I was I, and I, I didn't even look all that pregnant, so I <laughs> I waited for a really long time before I told people because I wanted to be really, really sure. So um, so I was about halfway through before I told people. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was actually, it turned out to be a really short, a really short pregnancy honeymoon, right, where everybody knows, but you haven't delivered a baby mm-hmm. yet. So... <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was pretty short. And my, my maternity clothes were, I, I didn't wear them very long. Cause like I said, I didn't really show for that long. And then he wound up being a month early. So I, I missed out on, on all of the, the great walking around. Like I was pregnant, <laughs> but he was okay. Even yeah. though he was a month early. Yeah. So. He, he, he went to the NICU for a couple of weeks, but there was, there was nothing, there was nothing wrong. I mean, obviously the, the if you were in the delivery room and understood what was happening, I maybe would have been panicked. But for me, I just delivered a baby, which was amazing. And I was so excited. And so it didn't occur to me the fact that there were 12 people in the room at the time of the delivery, that that was not normal. Yeah. And that they, you know, I had yeah. 20 seconds with, with Sam, my son. And, and then they, they took him away. And to me, I was like, oh, okay, he's going to the NICU and they're going to go take care of him. Like, it didn't occur to me that maybe that wasn't normal. That you should worry. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so I didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware enough to be worried, but um, he just, he needed oxygen and being fed through a tube for a couple of weeks and then he was totally fine. So. That's yeah. awesome. That's yes. great. So then how did this, I mean, obviously your, your life event was, it, it shaped you and shaped a lot of years of your life. What, what made you decide to make a, a change in your career? How did that bring you to kind of where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I had always known that I wanted to do something good in my life. I wanted to be helping others in some way. And I always said, when I'm, when I'm independently wealthy, I'm going to quit my job <laughs> and help children. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to educate underprivileged kids. And so that's why traditional adoption felt like it, it was right for me. Like it felt good if I could do it. But um, it turns out that wasn't so easy. And I was at the time doing marketing in a career that, well, um, well, marketing is very satisfying in some ways. It's not, it's not always feeling like you're doing things that are altruistic. So I, I felt like I needed, I needed to do something different always. And then when this happened and I started learning about all of the things that I didn't know about embryo donation, 
like the fact that there are one point, probably 1.3 million embryos in storage right now that are just stored indefinitely because people don't know what to do with them. That, and, and one to three year waiting lists of recipients and this crazy opacity of you can have this embryo and I'm going to tell you that they have brown curly hair. Is that good enough for you? Um, it just, it felt like there was so much that could be done here to help people. Um, and I think because so many people came out to me when I was looking that said, I really just, I want to help other people who are suffering through this. It made me realize that this is what I'm intended to do, that I was able to do it because first of all, I know how to market. I know how to market myself and I know how to, I know how to do marketing, right? That's something that I'm, I'm good at. And so I can, I can find ways to find these people who want to, to want to give their embryos to other loving homes. And I can help so many people in doing this. It just, it felt right. It felt like exactly where I needed to be, that I had all the right training that I could, I could really do this. And while I don't have, I don't have a medical background, I have about two years of consulting when I was 21 years old <laughs> that uh-huh. gave me the foundation of spending a lot of time in hospitals to understand how that works. And I spent four years of various fertility treatments to understand really how it goes. Right. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's not, there's, there's nothing like real world right, experience. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't have a medical background. I do have, I do have my own experience of injecting myself thousands of times to know yeah. what, what happens. So do you, do you still keep in contact with the donors or was it anonymous? Is yeah. it known? I mean, I, I assume it's known because you reached out right. via Facebook. So that's actually really interesting. And I found that that's been, that's been really enlightening to me is how many people actually want to have open relationships because they really just want it for the, the best of the child, right? It's for the child welfare to be able, for that child to be able to reach out and know who their genetic siblings are and know their genetic background. So um, that, that was also really eye-opening to me. In my case, of course, it was a known donation because somebody reached out to me. And I had gone through um, several families. Is one, one set of embryos didn't take, like various reasons, that I wound up using embryos that were a graduate school friend whom I did not know was going through IVF and she had used donor egg, donor sperm. She had her one child on her first try and was done and she had remaining embryos. So I'm obviously, I'm completely in contact with her because she started as a graduate school friend. But I can tell you that the other families that I worked with, one of them wanted to be almost anonymous they had told me at one point they didn't even want to know if I delivered a child. Um, they really just didn't want to know. And yet, once they donated the embryos to me, they were much more engaged, I think, than anonymous. So they said they wanted anonymous, and I think maybe that was because they, they had a lot of fear, and I think there is a lot of fear in this. But, um, and, you know, donors, and this is really good for recipients to know, donors come with a lot of questions as well. So 
it feels like there's a lot of anxiety for recipients. There's also a lot of anxiety on the donor side. And it's, it's normal and everybody should go through that because they're giving, they're giving up their genetic family to another family. So there's a lot that comes with that. But in my case, my friend had used a donor egg, donor sperm. So, and those were anonymous donor eggs and donor sperm. So you don't right. know the genetic yes. origin. So I have, I have all of the information that one would get from a sperm donor. So I have medical history and, you know, the psych profile. So you learn things about what, what hobbies they liked and what they studied in school and all that kind of stuff. Um, but she had chosen an anonymous sperm donor. So that's all we know about that one. And then on the egg donor side, she actually is able to reach out to the egg donor via the egg agency, the egg donor agency. So she, she can connect to that person, but I think it's supposed to be more for, Hey, this medical thing came up and is that in your family? Um, and have you, have you been curious? Have you like 23 and mead? Is that a verb now? Ancestry.com. gets all the credit. Um, uh, yeah. So I have not done any of that and I've been thinking about it. Um, what I do have is her daughter. So I get to watch her daughter grow up and it's fabulous. And that her daughter is my son's genetic sibling. So it's really cool. You get the kids together. So we live in different States. So I've met her daughter and she's met my son because we both had business trips, which got us to each other's States, but we haven't, we haven't had a, um, just a vacation that we, like I, I go visit Chicago and see her daughter, which we need to do. I think we're finally at the age where it makes sense because when my son was younger, he, he wouldn't have even been aware what was going on. So, so our, we're planning on doing it, but just haven't done it yet. So, so yeah, so the answer is I know, I know them and I do, I do want to learn more. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm wait, kind of waiting for him to be older before I do something like 23andMe or Ancestry because. It's I, a lot of spitting <laughs> into the cup. It's hard. Is it hard? <laughs> you know, getting him to spit that much. It's a lot yeah. of spit so you have to produce. That's the good yeah. thing about a toddler is that they're producing a lot without spitting. It's just coming out of their mouth. So that's true. Oh just hold the cu- right. when they're when they're teething. Yeah. You should just that's hold what the I could just like scrape his that. winter jacket and get. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Do I don't even know do what happened in the grocery store yesterday. It was just a lot <laughs> on his coat. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I know he's so young right now, but do you have a plan of how to, are you telling him, how do you plan to address this with him or do you plan to? Yeah. So he already has a, a photo book that I created and he also has some of the books that, that I purchased, but I have to say that I'm working with three other women who are all in this donor embryo space. And all of us say, we need better books. We need books that are um, addressing this particularly embryo donation, but in a way that's also, that, that also feels good. Like they just, the, the books aren't quite addressing what we want them to address. But so he has also a photo book. I, 
Are you writing a book? Um, Are you going to add that? To- <laughs> I would. I would love to write a children's <laughs> book one day. The good news is that there are also three other women who want to write children's books, and they might write better children's <laughs> books than me. So I'm going to let them do it. And plus, they're writing books. One wants to write it on the donor side. So what? What do? Yeah. What do families who are donating embryos tell their children? How do they address it? So. Um, it's all really interesting because it's this new family tree that we're creating. So I am now forever genetically related to my graduate school friend because we have children who are the same genetics. So, um, so yeah, so he has this book that has pictures of his egg donor and his sperm donor and his, and his genetic sibling. So plus plus the rest. So you're of his already like going over. Awesome. So you're already going over this book with him. Yeah. Explaining. Like, yeah, I explain yes. who they are. I, I, you know, I call them. This is this is your egg donor, and this is your sperm donor, and and this is this is your 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 family who donated embryos to make this happen. And then I also just tell him yeah. a bedtime story that I'm sure he's he's totally enraptured right now. He probably has no idea what I'm talking about, but. Um, you know, I tell him where he came from and that he, he started from a magic seed that I got from a friend who was generous. So I, I tell him those stories. So, yeah, so he's, he, he might know. Right now his, his words are ball and bear and berry <laughs> and off. Yeah. He says off really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, what, and no. What do you think? Uh, yeah, always important. Yes, that would no, be. Of course, that always no. Um, what's been, do you think, the hardest thing um, with having a child that was through embryo donation or kind of the hardest questions to answer for you? Um, I think the, the hardest things, one of the hardest things, and somebody had asked me this recently, which I thought was really good, was when I was pregnant, how I would feel and how he would feel. So would I feel like his parent? And would he feel like that I was his mom? Like that was, I think that was really hard for me going through it because I thought, gosh, I'm not genetically related. And when he comes out, will he feel like he, I'm supposed, like I'm supposed to be his mom? And, and that was, I think that was really challenging. And I have to say, even in the first couple of months, that was really challenging for me because I loved him and he was a miracle. And Honestly, I was, I was still not believing that I was pregnant the whole time because I'd gone through so much. So I would go in for my ultrasounds and they would show me this baby moving who, um, first of all, doesn't have my characteristics. So maybe that would have helped. Who knows? But I see this baby moving and I feel like they've actually just taken a clip that they're, that they're rolling from the previous <laughs> patient. Like This is what I think they're doing. Uh, right? <laughs> and, right. and I know that my tummy's getting bigger, but I wasn't really believing it. And, and so when he came out, I still, I still felt like, gosh, I hope he loves me. Like, I, I hope that that happens. And so I'd say that was, that was really the hardest and the great thing about being 18 months is that right now he's in the phase of only wanting his mommy sometimes. Right. I'm like, cry, right. I'm like, cry your else. heart out, please. Because this is what oh. I need to know that you love me. Yes. So, oh. yeah. So I know, I know he knows that I'm his mom. 
Yeah. So I would say that that's the hardest. I think everything else, the stuff when, when people say, oh, he looks like you. And I say, yeah, because he's got blue eyes, like 25% of the population. (laughs) 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 But, but I, I think, I think that like that stuff is really easy for me because I'm very open and it's not, it's not hard for me to say, yeah, he has, he has genetics that are probably better than mine. Right. Like I, I look, I look at his <laughs> genetic, his medical history and it's way better than mine. So I, I feel, feel oh. good about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Yeah. Um, I know we could talk about this for, for hours and hours and days and days, but where can people go to learn more about Embryo Donation and um, yes. yeah, what you do and how you help people? Right. Yeah. So I, um, my, my website is embryoconnections.org. So there I've got, you can go to a Q&A section where there's some great questions and answers about um, things like, how will I feel when my child is born? And how do I communicate with my child? And is embryo donation right for me? And I think one of the big questions is, what kind of relationship will I feel comfortable with um, in embryo donation? Because that does, that does happen. These, these are you know, real families who are donating. And so understanding that, and it's really, I, I would say that that, that site is a great starting off point for somebody who is thinking about donating and for those who are thinking about being recipients. And I, um, I really encourage anybody who's thinking about what to do with their embryos, that this is really just a beautiful option, that it does create amazing, wonderful families that couldn't exist without, without their generosity. And I I really, I feel so grateful to those who have, who were willing to donate to me and to those who are now donating to other people, because I know that it's hard. It's not an easy choice. And so um, that's a great place to learn is embryoconnections.org. And um, there I can connect you for those who are thinking about donating to a support group for donors. Um, And I'm happy to talk one-on-one with anybody who's thinking about this as an option. I have I have lots of time for this because I'm really passionate about it. So any questions that people have, I'm willing to answer. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. I know other families appreciate it as well. Yeah. And your openness and honesty through this and and the struggles you went through. I mean, it's really, and I say this to a lot of people who come in and talk to us, but it's it's wonderful for people to not, to know they are not alone and that they are not the only ones who are going through this and that, you know, it, it gives some level of strength to to get through it, to know that somebody else has gotten through it and, and survived through it and thrived through it. So thank you so much for being so open. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting ending and appropriate that this, this Jen Vesbit, who does embryo donation support, she works on the donor side. That is her mantra all the time, is that you're not alone. And I think so many people feel alone in this, that it's it's really important to know that other people are out there and that there is, there is a solution. So um, I think, you know, one of the things that I encourage people to do is research options because this is a big challenge in embryo donation right now is that you feel like you're really um, restricted to the information that you learn from your own clinic or from their recommendations to you. So um, they might, they might offer options that, 
require that either are faith-based or um, require things that you don't feel comfortable with, that there is an option that allows, that is not discriminatory, which frankly is me, right? That's not discriminatory. And that you can choose the families that you want your embryos to go to, or you can choose the, the families you want to receive from. That that should happen. And is, is um, I think, the, the best way to do an embryo donation. So I, I encourage people to look for what's right for them. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Deb, so much. We really appreciate that you, you came and you talked to us and shared, and we're so willing to share with us. Yes, this was really fun. Thank you for letting me talk about it and, and reliving all of that. Forgot so much. <laughs> yes. oh, which is hard. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's the hardest part. Right? <laughs> but what I can tell people is there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's that's the beautiful thing about embryo donation is that there's light at the end of the tunnel. That is awesome. That's the perfect way to go out. Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Deb Roberts, for joining us and sharing your own personal story, as well as um, what's going on in terms of embryo donation and your new um, your new organization to connect people who want to donate embryos and receive them. And if for those who are who enjoyed this episode and haven't listened to all of our back episodes, um, I think you might really, if you're interested in embryo donation, you might really enjoy. Um, Maya and Noah Grobel's episode where they, you know, they had a documentary on Netflix and they document their, their journey and ultimately do arrive at embryo donation to, to ruin the right. ending. But theirs is really right. good there. We really enjoyed their our interview with them as well. And you should watch the Netflix, uh, one more shot. Um, documentary that yes. they made as well. So, but this has been a and, really and actually for uh, for anybody who's looking for you know the the back catalog, we actually have a, a website if you want to go to it and look for you know. Of course, you can find things on iTunes and all those other things that we we love to shill all the time. But we do have a website called I Want to Put a Baby in You dot com. Yeah, yeah, it really is called that. And you can just literally type in www.iwanttoputababyinyou.com and go check it's it out. It's not porn. It is it's our podcast. That's all it is. Uh, um, and there actually are other ways to contact us through there. So you can fill out one of those annoying like forms where you can go to us. You know, It'll come directly to us for, for contacting us. And quite honestly, we're okay with giving out our own email addresses. If you want to try to email me directly, it's jwhite at Colorado com, And if you want to reach Ellen, it's eTrackman at trackmanlawcenter.com. And, and for, of for course, visual people, the Trackman is T-R-A-C-H-M-A-N instead of a K. Ah, right, yeah. right. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. And of course, people can still call us and, and leave a message on our hotline, which is 303-997-1903. And we so look forward to hearing from people. Thanks so much. 